This is a Federal News Network podcast. There are times when the government's acquisition workforce seems to act in desperation. 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, the coronavirus pandemic. It leads to fast buying and sole source buys. But the government's antenna are also quivering, attuned to the possibility of collusion and price fixing. They're attached to a big bug called the Procurement Collusion Task Force. For more, we turn to attorney and Baker Hostetler partner Jeffrey Martino. Mr. Martino spoke with Tom Temin. So tell us about the Procurement Collusion Task Force. This is something new on the scene? Yes, it's actually the Procurement Collusion Strike Force. And I can probably tell you the difference between strike forces and task forces as, as we discuss a little bit further. It's something I've been monitoring since coming over to Baker Hostetler last fall from the Department of Justice. I was chief of the New York office of the Antitrust Division. And along with my colleagues at FTI, Nicole Wells and Regis Arnone, we've been following the developments. And this strike force kicked off in November of 2019. DOJ announced it formed a government procurement collusion strike force that comprises of prosecutors from DOJ, antitrust, as well as 13 United States attorney offices around the country, Some of those include New York, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Ohio, uh, Los Angeles, and other key markets. The strike force partners with the FBI and inspector generals from the Department of Defense, U.S. Postal Service, GSA, and the mission of the strike force is to deter, detect, and prosecute antitrust crimes and related schemes in government procurements in order to ensure taxpayers receive the full benefits of competitive bidding. So in government contracting, antitrust violations increase costs borne by the government and directly impact taxpayers. So, for example, rigging bids and allocating market shares during the procurement process inevitably causes a rise in the prices offered to the government. So in turn, the taxpayer suffers. In this past year, it was projected that contract spending could be over $600 billion. That's billion with a B. DOJ has said that more than 50 federal, state, and local agencies have sought the assistance of the strike force and has trained more than 2,000 investigators, some data scientists, as well as procurement officials in assisting them in trying to uncover bid rigging and fraud in the procurement process. Well, how can contractors rig bids in what is, even though it's online, we don't have literally sealed paper coming in anymore, but it's still basically a sealed bid system, even though it's electronic. How can they, and how often do they do this? Is there evidence this ever happens? Since the strike force was first announced, DOJ already had more than 30 open grand jury investigations concerning public procurement. And certainly after disasters, financial crisis, in desperate times, you know, there's a call for desperate measures among contractors and folks in, in other markets. Just in June, DOJ also announced that there have been several more investigations that have been opened specifically under the strike force. So what is it that they look for? What are the clues to the government that there's collusion going on when all bids come in at the same dollar amount or something else? I think there's some, you know, some factors that they look at. And certainly while price-fixing bid reading can occur in almost any industry, they're likely to occur in industries where only a few firms compete. The public procurement industry features certain characteristics that make it probably more susceptible to antitrust violations. And certainly these contracts are lucrative and numerous. And uh, where there's fewer sellers, it's easier for them to coordinate, um, one, because they may know each other from you know, past work together as subcontractors, but there's probably a more coziness uh, to, to the industry. For the government, it's difficult to monitor government contractors consistently across the board because you've got, even at the federal contract, it might be seeking local contractors in various geographic markets around the country. So it's really hard to capture all the information and data to find 
you know, these secret agreements. Um, certainly during disasters, the government's need for services outweigh its ability to really buckle down and check all the boxes in order to prevent this. So contractors can take advantage and rig bids. And by, by rigging bids, you're, you know, necessarily you're going to be able to raise prices. Um, and certainly this is uh, uh, something that can happen in times of need, like like during the pandemic. Sure. We're speaking with Jeff Martino. He's a partner at the law firm Baker Hostetler. And are there particular segments where this is more likely to occur, this illegal behavior, say in defense contracting, professional services, selling hardware and products, maybe some of the low-end types of services like painting and landscaping and building maintenance? All of those that you mentioned, probably except for the Department of Defense, can happen at one federal project, right? From the restoration, remediation, let's see if you're talking about environmental services project, all those services can be found at one federally designated site that need to be uh, attended to. And while I was at DOJ, we saw and prosecuted government contracting cases in almost every industry, from IT to defense, technology even. Wow. And what are the penalties for contractors caught and convicted of this? Uh, the penalties, uh, and certainly this is a priority of the Antitrust Division and DOJ, for individuals, it's up to 10 years in jail and a million-dollar fine. Yeah, so that's <laughs> pretty serious consequences. Now, earlier yeah. on, I called this mistakenly a task force, and you corrected me that it's a strike force. What is the difference between a task force and a strike force where DOJ is concerned? Yeah, I think that has changed over the years, but I think one model that you can look at is the healthcare fraud strike force, where you've got teams set up in particular geographic markets that focus on bringing the cases, investigating the cases. Task forces and working groups typically identify areas of priority and gather up the resources and really strategize on how best to approach it. Strike forces have teams on the ground working with other components and their partners to bring those cases themselves. And who usually brings the possibility of collusion or price fixing to the strike forces or the department's attention? Is it whistleblowers, contracting officers, or how do they usually come in? Yeah, it can come in from various sources, uh, certainly whistleblowers, competitors' complaints, as well as the Department of Justice Antitrust Division has a leniency program where the first company to report the violation and fully cooperate with the department can get basically a non-prosecution agreement so long as they pay restitution. That really helps them avoid criminal prosecution, so they may not be debarred, right? And then it, it limits their civil damages, and they may also get protection for their key executives who are current employees. And in fact, if former employees are cooperating, they also may be included in that PNC program. And how has the pandemic and all of the procurement related there, too, has that heightened the possibility of price fixing and collusion? Well, it's certainly with all the government contracts that are being let out in the tenders, it's an area of concern. As I mentioned before, uh, several investigations have been opened up since the pandemic. I don't know whether those are specific pandemic-related, but certainly I think with the hype around the strike force, the resources it's gathered, and the publicity that it's maintained for the last six or seven months now, they've been able to garner a lot of support and I imagine that they're getting uh, a lot of reports from whistleblowers and perhaps uh, leniency applicants, even if it doesn't directly relate to uh, the pandemic. And if a company wants to avoid this, I mean, this could happen at below the executive suite level, just among, say, the 
business development and salespeople, maybe, what are some of the basic compliance and controls mechanisms a company should make sure it has? Yeah, I think contractors need to start with assessing whether they have an antitrust compliance program. A lot of them have corruption programs and ethics programs, but don't deal specifically with antitrust compliance. Last summer, DOJ Antitrust Division published guidance on how it will evaluate compliance programs if contractors are caught colluding and and facing charges. So what they'll evaluate is is several areas. Um, First, how comprehensive the program is, the compliance culture of the contractor's executives. So it's not just the business development people, but it's really the tone at the top going to the middle and holding folks accountable. And they're going to want to identify who's the responsible person for the antitrust compliance program and whether and how the contractor assessed those risks. What was the procedures that they did? Obviously, training is a major component. And then they're going to want to see that there's continuous auditing in high-risk areas. And finally, an area that they'll be evaluating is how compliance is incentivized and how the company, the contractor, will discipline any wrongdoers in the company. Specifically, I think there's internal controls that can be put in place that can mitigate the risk. Certainly, policies and procedures should be put in place to segregate duties in preparation, review, and approval proposals. And just by creating consistent standards for estimating and budgeting, those two simple steps can really help further the antitrust compliance program. And let me ask you this. As a career federal prosecutor, are you now defending companies, and what does that feel like? Yeah, I I am defending companies, and, you know, you're doing a lot of the same work. You're talking about antitrust compliance. You're looking and evaluating whether it makes sense for the company to go in and seek leniency. You know, these are high-stakes investigations, and you want to make sure that the government is doing the right thing. That was my job as chief of the New York Office of the Antitrust Division and representing companies and individuals. I I take the same approach, and how can we mitigate the risks and first prevent the problem, And then if we need to deal with the problem, uh, addressing it appropriately and making sure that the compliance program is the program that that the the company buys into, not just those particular areas that may be concerned, but it really needs to come from the top. Jeffrey Martino is a partner at the law firm Baker Hostetler. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive and subscribe to the Federal Drive on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.